beyond excited to announce that I have partnered up with Magimix for this season of Crazy Sexy Food. As the inventor of the food processor, Magimix is a family-owned business that has an amazing reputation as makers of quality kitchen appliances and are cherished and adored all around the world by both chefs and home cooks alike. I remember growing up and always seeing my mum's beloved Magimix on her countertop and the utter ease of how she used it. Fast forward to today and my beautiful Magimix cook expert is literally the most used appliance in my kitchen. This latest innovation is both a food processor and multi-cooker in one machine. It's a game changer for me and it's such a dream to use. I think of it as my personal sous chef. I give it all the hard work to get on with so I can focus on more interesting jobs like tasting, flavouring and serving up delicious meals. And don't even get me started on their ice cream machine, the gelato expert. It makes ice cream to rival even the best Italian delicacies. Oh, and if that isn't enough, come September, they're launching a new range of blenders. Fancy getting your hands on one of their products? Then use my code CSFMAGIMIX for a 15% discount at magimix.co.uk. Follow Magimix UK on social, download their brilliant app for hundreds of delicious recipe ideas and see how the amazing Magimix can become your personal sous chef in your kitchen too. Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs and people who just love their food to find out all about their life, career and their favourite tastes along the way. Today I'm joined by an absolute force of nature, the inspirational and beautiful Shiza Shahid. Shiza is an entrepreneur, activist, former CEO of the Malala Fund, and the co-founder of Our Place, the cookware brand taking the world by storm. Where do I begin with such a multifaceted woman? She is completely in line with my ethos when it comes to food and sharing moments together. The table is for everyone, regardless of who you are or where you're from. Originally from Pakistan, Shiza has dedicated her life to educating the world and spreading the word about women's empowerment and the right for girls to have an education. She collaborated with fellow Pakistani Malala and set up the Malala Fund in 2013, a role that was followed by being included on Times's 30 Under 30 list of world changes, as well as Forbes' 30 Under 30 list of global entrepreneurs in 2014. It's such a privilege to host this incredible woman in my home. Shiza, welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. Thank you for having me. This is honestly such a pleasure. Um, not only am I a fan of your products, which are sitting on my stove, and I promise this was not staged, I but I just it. think we need more of people like you in this world, and I can't wait to sort of get into the essence of everything that you're about. But first of all, welcome to London. This I'm is so not... happy to be here. It's beautiful. <laughs> well, the weather is holding out for you, which is a surprise. You know, I, I live in Los Angeles. We have great weather. So I come here for the, the food, the culture, the architecture, the people. And uh, I'm all right if it rains a little bit. <laughs> but you're the only person that said that. I'm happy with that. Have you been eating well since you've been here? Always, always. I love the food in London. And I actually... I love just like 
the everyday food. I love just like walking into the grocery stores and the farmer's markets and the stalls and um, the street food. I just feel like the city is so alive with flavors and diversity and you know immigrant communities that have shaped how uh, Londoners eat and gather and celebrate. And so it's just such a special place to be. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I also think actually in recent years, especially with like street food culture, because we sort of were behind you a bit in a, like America really did that because I used to live in New York and that was such a big thing. And we now have these street food markets and suddenly we're being introduced to things like Ethiopian food, which 10 years ago, I never would have known what that was or what it tasted like. And now it's literally on our doorstep. It's so exciting. So I always start my conversations with asking, what did you have for breakfast today? I know it's very early, so you may not have an answer for me, but... <laughs> um, eggs Florentine. Ooh, okay. I love breakfast and okay. I love a poached egg on a buttered muffin mm-hmm. with some hollandaise. It's, yeah, I like, you I are, like a decadent breakfast. You are officially breakfast. British. You are British. I love this. <laughs> that's a very, and very And then good... I, I did bring a little bit of Los Angeles, so I added a green juice. Oh, that's okay. That's fine. You're allowed, you're allowed. So I want to take it back to your childhood. You were born and raised in Islamabad in Pakistan. I want to know what life was like growing up. I want to know what you were eating, who was cooking, how food played a part in your life. Was it important? Sort of paint the whole picture for us. Yeah, I was fortunate to be born into a very loving family in Pakistan. My parents came from very modest backgrounds. And my mother especially came from a very patriarchal time and place where she was not really given the opportunity to pursue higher education or build a career. And she's a a brilliant, ambitious woman. Today, she runs an orphanage and is, you know, living her best life. But growing up, she was still very much burdened by domesticity and cooking and the expectations of society. And so she cooked and she cooked very well and um, she was fortunate to have a support network of others who cooked as well, but she never enjoyed it and she never wanted us in the kitchen. So whenever I would go into the kitchen, she'd say, oh, don't worry about that. Go study, focus on your education. And I never learned how to make anything. And then at 18, I got a scholarship to Stanford and so I moved halfway across the world not part of the plan and suddenly I was far away from everyone I knew and I couldn't feed myself and for a while it was great having dorm room food and (laughs) dining hall pizza and you know endless frozen yogurt Uh, but you know 15 pounds and um, you know a lot of uh, paninis later I (laughs) paninis are like the student staple aren't they? (laughs) I mean you know it's so easy to make and And I missed my culture, I missed the flavors of my home, I missed being able to nourish myself. And I set about on my journey of learning how to cook, which did not come easy to me. I am not an effortless cook, Um, but I am a home cook who loves to gather, who loves to connect, who loves to build bigger tables, who loves to create community, who loves to take the traditions of where I come from but then push them and infuse them with where I am today and and how I'm changing. 
And so, you know, that's really been my journey with, with food and cooking is it's not been linear. It's not been uncomplicated, but it has always been so central to how I feel joy, how I receive and give love and how I create place for myself and others. Oh, what a beautiful answer and very much aligned with me. I always say to people, if I'm cooking for you, that's how I show you my love. And to be invited to someone's house and to know that they're putting in that effort, putting in those hours, for me is like the biggest sign of just like care and the the inviting of people into your home, I think is such an important and can also be quite a vulnerable experience it's as well. So intimate. You know? it's, it's so intimate. It's so intimate. And I think we in the West, we don't do it enough. No. Right? We always go out to eat. Totally. And I, you know, you and I just met, but I'm in your home and I already feel like I know so much more about you than mm. if if we met somewhere else. And I, I feel, you know, honored to be here and I feel welcomed in. And I think for for most people, when you ask them about their happiest memories, the moments when they felt most loved, it's very often you know, I went home from college and my grandmother had stayed up all night to make that special cake that I loved. Yeah. Or, you know, I was really tired and um, I wasn't feeling great and my husband made me this delicious chicken soup. And so for so many of us, I think home cooking is really where culture and identity and love and belonging live. And that's why building our place has been, you know, such a, a gift uh, to talk about so much more than cooking and Absolutely. being, a, you know, a, a home cooker, a chef. Mm, mm. And we're going to come to that in a bit. Before we sort of leave your childhood, please sort of describe some of the, maybe the key dishes that remind you of sort of your mum cooking for you. Because, I mean, I love Pakistani food, but some people who may not sort of know the cuisine too much. You know, my, my parents made Pakistani food in their own way. And so... It's very, it was, it was adapted as I think a lot of home cooking is. And so it's very hard for me today to ever go to a Pakistani restaurant (laughs) because it doesn't taste like my mother's cooking. Um, But they, they really simplified it and um, brought it back to core ingredients. A chicken karahi, which is a um, tomato based stew um, or curry, perhaps Um, roti. So fresh Mm. flatbread. Twice a day, we would have fresh roti with just flour, water, salt. That's it. Um, but, you know, it was never it was never a day old. It was always made right then, hot off the stove. And, you know, even now when I go home, it's just, it's the most comforting thing. I always, you know what? It's so funny. I mean, we come from sort of similar-ish cultures. You know, my mother is Iranian. And I always say it's sometimes just the simplest food that's cooked by a family member or or a loved one that is the most comforting. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't need to be complicated. No, and I think that taste and and food and the foods of our childhood, they live in our body, right? And Mm. so there's this immediate sense of, of nostalgia and going back home and that's why I think people are so particular about you know it well it doesn't taste like my mother's it doesn't taste like my father's cooking yeah and really learning to cook from family and ancestors yeah, absolutely 
So, I mean, I obviously did a lot of research on you and wow, what a life you've had. And, you know, from a young age, you've been an activist, you volunteered, you've worked in women's prisons. What, what sort of pulled you in that direction? Like who, who was, who had influenced you or was it just you sort of, sort of being out there in the world? You know, it's really admirable to read about this you know, about you, um, sort of what pulled you in that direction? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I, I think it was small acts that became bigger. I think it was, you know, really just at a young age, I was, I was always very curious. I've always been deeply sensitive and, you know, I grew up in a loving family that did everything they could to make sure I I could dream as big as I wanted to dream. But I was not growing up um, in a world where that opportunity was afforded to all girls and women. Mm. You know, my home country, Pakistan, is beautiful, but it has the second highest number of children out of school in the entire world. It is ranked the second worst place to be born a woman. And I was witnessing these differences in privilege and I wanted to understand what was going on and and growing up I was living through a a more turbulent time in my country's history it was the the post 9-11 world the war in neighboring Afghanistan meant that there was rising instability in Pakistan things like suicide attacks and bombings were coming closer and closer to my own home and so in this environment was really just trying to make sense of the world and and make a small difference. And I just started out carrying medical supplies into a women's prison. That was the very first thing I did. And then from there, I started writing case studies for an organization that was providing microloans to women along with microenterprise training. And, you know, I couldn't do much, but I was, I had a decent ability to write. And so I would, you know, speak to these women and witness how they transformed their circumstances with just a little bit of, of not even a leg up, of just someone coming and taking mm. out all these obstacles that were in front mm. of them and saying, I'm going to take, I'm going to try and remove one or two of them. It's still very hard. It's still all you, right? But here's, here's something. And, and just with that little boost, you know, one of my favorite statistics is, you know, if you give a woman a dollar, she invests 80 to 90% back into her family and community it's typically 30 to 40% for men. Wow. So girls' education, women's financial empowerment, both of which have been causes that are very close to my heart, um, really is one of the most effective interventions you can make to end poverty. And really just one thing would lead to the next, and I felt passionate and driven and useful, right? Actually able to impact just one person Um, you feel like your life matters. And I was fortunate to grow up in a way where I was able to do that work and feel that feeling. And out of curiosity, I mean, it sounds like from sort of how you're talking about it, your parents, were they sort of like a minority in the way that they were thinking in the way they were raising you? Like were a lot of your peers growing up in families who's like, for example, whose mother was saying, no, don't come in the kitchen, you know, work on your education, go and do something with your life. Because, you know, you're talking about growing up at a time with such severe instability. You know, we all know what was going on and, you know, kind of still is going on around the world. Yeah. 
would you say that you were your friends were kind of going through like we're living in similar environments or not so much I mean I think that most women are and most girls are taught that their place in the world um, is second to men's even yeah. today right and that their ambitions are less important and that their opportunities are are less viable and um, you know I think that is still the case and not just in in the east but also in the west you know even as I look around at my peers today and and I live in Los Angeles you know one of the most progressive cities in the world most women are still taught that their careers matter less their dreams matter less and so so probably um but I think that you know it wasn't it wasn't so much that my parents were shaping my path and pointing me to where to go next I think more than anything and I I say this with love I think they were benevolently neglectful they were like she's fine Mm. she's our third kid they all made it she's fed she's safe we're around we love her you know let her do her thing and so whenever parents are like well how do I inspire my child to do this 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 and I'm like well maybe you know part of it is just clearing the space letting them be bored and looking for something to do letting them see suffering without immediately trying to shield them from it letting them go to a protest even if you think that you know there is a small chance that maybe it's not you know as safe as sitting in your living room just let them go out there and create I think it's harder to influence I think it's easier to clear the way and create an environment where maybe they'll be inspired to go out and build something Mm, I couldn't agree more I I I feel like when I look back at my childhood my parents were very similar to you Mm. where I was actually the third child as well um and not that they were just like go on your merry way but in a way yes they were Mm -hmm. just like whatever you want to do with your life go and do and in the friends that I had who were under such severe pressure to perform to a certain level or do certain things with their lives or or very strict parents were the ones that either ended up rebelling quite badly Mm -hmm. and then therefore sort of tripping up along the way or just never I guess making their parents happy and it's like well what does that even mean you know let your child just do what they need to do you've given them the foundations now it's their moment (laughs) so we're going to sort of speed up a little bit in parts of your life so you got this scholarship you go to Stanford University was that a bit of a culture shock you know American culture is so ubiquitous (laughs) I grew up watching reruns of Friends and Cheers so American culture was not a culture shock I think college life was a culture shock um you know and Stanford is as some of your listeners might know it's it's a college town there's really nothing else you live in the dorms you eat in the dorms you hang out in the dorms and there's not um, really, you know, it's not like Oxford where I've spent, uh, where I did a, a, a study abroad while I was at Stanford, where it's, where it's really integrated into a city. And and so you have your college life, but you can also, you know, go dancing in a salsa bar, right? Yeah. It was, yeah. Um, and so that part of it was a culture shock, I think, more than American culture. Um, and I think once again, because... I was in this world where I was, you know, just in school and a little restless to do something real. Um, I stayed very connected to my home country and would go back and would continue to volunteer and 
um, you know, that's really what led me to when I was 19 years old to create this secret summer camp for girls when uh, the Taliban or a group affiliated with the Taliban took over an area called the Swap Valley and um, in an armed insurgency declared an all-out ban on girls' education in the area. Here I was getting this incredible education for free, less than 300 miles from where I grew up. Girls were being told they couldn't go to school. And so I knew I wanted to do something and to support girls there who were fighting for their rights to go to school and telling their stories to get people to act. And so I created this secret summer camp um, where Malala and her father um, were present, were extremely formative in the summer camp. Her father actually brought the rest of the girls out as well. And, you know, I would continue to sort of create these types of um, opportunities to just give back and to stay connected and to try and make a difference back home. And so when was, what year was the this summer camp that you did? That you created? It was 2009. 2009? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Which sort of, you know, you've mentioned Malala and, you know, this relationship that has grown between you is sort of really quite incredible. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you were at Stanford when the very shocking news came about that... No, I can... No, not quite. So I, I graduated from college. Okay. I was working at McKinsey. I wanted to work in business. I'd worked in nonprofit my entire life, and I realized nonprofits do incredible work, but uh, they are a drop in the bucket compared to businesses. And if we're to pro- solve the world's most pressing challenges, we need businesses to step up and do their part. So I had a nonprofit training. I wanted a business training. Took my first job out of college at McKinsey. Moved out to Dubai to be closer to, to family. Um, thought... I would do the whole McKinsey training, arguably one of the best in the world, go to business school, get my resume nice and thick, and then maybe one day do my own thing. Uh, But a year into my time at McKinsey, Malala was shot by the Taliban for wanting to go to school, which turned my world upside down. I was devastated by what had happened. Um, But we all know, thankfully, um, that, um, you know, she took that horrible act and turned it into something really powerful and positive in the world and when her and her father asked me to stay with them and help them turn this tragedy into um, a path forward for other girls to get an education I quit my job moved to New York with a suitcase as a 22 year old and served as a founding CEO which um, was a great privilege and I learned a lot forced me to become an entrepreneur a lot earlier than I had planned, taught me the power of telling a story that inspires real change. And those are all lessons that I've brought with me into the work that I do now in building our place. And when you sort of joined forces with her to create this, I mean, incredible fund, the Manala Fund, what with like the initial objectives at the time? Like, what did you guys want to do with it? You know, this horrific situation has happened you know it's hit the world over tenfold um you know to help every girl around the world access an education that, was that just it. That was allows what them to, to change do. their circumstances and pursue their dreams absolutely and how do you and I'm just going to say this from like a very sort of naive 
point as uh, so I can really sort of get to like the grips of it how do you even go about that it feels like such a huge complex issue to navigate yeah I where mean, do I you think, start I think with everything um you start by impacting one person right and one person at a time you make a difference I think you invest in people who have solutions and ideas you find change makers and leaders on the ground who are driving real impact in their communities and you support them and you uplift them and you fund them and you give them access to networks and and resources and mentors and and peers who can help them succeed i think you tell stories that shift perspectives i think you work with you know governments and multilateral institutions that wield power and large budgets and and get them to show up better and hold them accountable and and you know slowly and gradually um things start to shift and ever since you guys sort of founded this where are we at now like statistically yeah i mean i think i think it's a complicated issue right and i think you know we've we've gone through some really horrible things in the world uh we've made progress on some fronts and then you know the taliban has banned girls education in afghanistan the covid-19 epidemic took lots of girls out of school who may not return and so um you know i think that uh unfortunately solving anything is not simple or linear uh but i i believe girls education women's empowerment uh protection from violence um child marriage um these remain some of the most critical and pressing issues of our time we need more of you in this world <laughs> shifting slightly but still sort of within the realm of everything you do um you are obviously the lady behind our place um my beautiful pots are behind <laughs> me um they are my most used pots in my kitchen i'm not just saying that because you're sitting here well, we i have... promise you they are <laughs> um and so i kind of want to know you sort of come from this background of sort of activism you know you've you you'd helped co-found the malala fund you know you're sort of talking about empowering women you know girls education how do we how do we then get to our place yeah i think um i think the same way that i got to everything else which is in in any given moment asking myself what is the greatest impact that i can uniquely have and that's always shifted right when i was 13 years old i was carrying boxes of vitamins and um paracetamol or tylenol into women's prisons and when i was 15 it was writing case studies about women who were rising out of poverty through microloans and microenterprise training and when i was 22 it was quitting my job to um be of service um in helping lay the foundation for the malala fund and when i was 29 it was showing that you can build a business that has a core mission and is rooted in representation and is making kinder decisions and yet is very successful that we don't have to choose between purpose and values and financial success because trillions are traded in the financial markets every day and while i respect deeply all the non-profits that 
go out there and work hard to solve the world's most pressing challenges, they're just a fraction of that. And until we get businesses and the capital markets to start to be more accountable to their impact in the world, we're simply not going to solve the world's most pressing challenges. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I wanted to build a business that proved that you could build a mission-driven business that was, you know, built and run by by women predominantly today, um, that was rooted in representation in front of and behind the camera, that was um, doing the hard work and sustainability, that was challenging narratives about immigrant communities and um, diaspora communities, that was making people feel seen for the first time and still build a great business. And, uh, and so that's really where our place came from. It also came from a very personal place. You know, that's maybe the, the macro mission. But, but again, I think everything starts from a very personal place. Um, and for me, it was just being an immigrant. My partner is also an immigrant. And we literally found our place in America by cooking and sharing food and having people come over and um, creating community. And we've always believed that when you break bread with someone, all sense of perceived difference and distance starts to fall away and you realize the ways in which you're so deeply and fundamentally connected. And so a brand that that makes products that make it easier and more joyful to cook at home is actually a platform for talking about immigration and anti-racism and food justice and all of the things that, that we're so deeply passionate about literally my mission statement for crazy sexy food you're part of you're this my family twin. like, like <laughs> honestly like this is you know when i started crazy sexy food it, it, it wasn't actually for a podcast it was i wrote a treatment for a food documentary which is still very much where i want to take this and that was because one i was fed up of seeing and i still love these guys don't get me wrong i'm not trying to hate on anyone but there's no young females fronting that kind of food documentary style. All the food shows with women are usually mm -hmm. with them cooking. And I'm like you, I'm a home cook, but I'm not a chef. I don't claim to be anything that I'm not, but I'm interested in the people behind the food. Mm -hmm. So for me to sit down, we can sit and talk about whatever, but me hearing about you growing up in Pakistan and eating the, the beautiful food that your mum would cook you and and this and that, and then bringing it all to a table hmm. and, and then bringing in what we were talking about earlier about inviting people to your home and the intimacy of it and the love behind it is it's just so important. Hmm. So that's why like the ethos behind our place, not just because they look great in my kitchen, but I feel like when I'm using them, one, they're very easy to use. They're not too heavy. They clean perfectly because someone over here has a little bit of OCD. Um, <laughs> but I also feel like I'm buying into a brand and I'm using a brand that completely falls in line. And I think that in this day and age, we are all a lot more aware of what we buy, what we eat, yeah. you know, who we hang around with, what we're talking about. So... I just think it's absolutely brilliant and, um, and you've you. really, really nailed it, honestly. Yeah. Well, how we spend our money is one of the most important ways in which we can have an impact in the world. And so to have an option where, you know, f first and foremost, buy our products because they're great products, mm -hmm. right? Don't, you don't have to buy our products for any other reason. The products 
we believe are, are incredible and designed to make home cooking easier and more joyful and very high quality and thoughtfully and sustainably sourced. And that's why you should, you should purchase the product. But to, to know that um, you can also support brands that align with your values. Yeah. For me, you know, I'm, I'm wearing this necklace right now that was handmade by a, um, a female jewelry designer in, in New York. Oh, wow. Right. I'm, I'm carrying my, my Kuyana bag, which is a business founded by a fellow South Asian, um, female entrepreneur who's a dear friend who's making, you know, sustainable products. And, you know, those are the things that I wish I could, you know, buy this, this, <laughs> this iPhone elsewhere. But, um, you know, it makes me feel like um, what I wear, what I use, um, how I spend my money um, is aligned with, with the world that I want to see. And, and totally. it's just one of the most important decisions I think we can make. And when you were designing the pots and the pans, because that was sort of like, you I, you came out originally with the... Always pan. Yeah. And obviously the idea behind them is that not only do they make cooking easy, but there's literally eight or so things you could do with one, with one pan, which I just think is like mind-blowing to me. I mean, the other day I was actually steaming gyoza in the pan that I also cook all of like my Iranian stews and I was like I am winning at life not only am I like diversifying with different cuisines but like it's just not that much co- uh, washing up you're, you're gonna take over my job I mean you do this better than I do so I'm just gonna have to start to absolutely that's fine I want to send you, you to all the investor me. meetings it's like, it's like. Um. so kind of explain the concept because yeah. you know there's you're not just buying a pan you're literally buying so many different bits yeah and um, the product design is is an incredibly important part of the mission right and so if the mission is to make home cooking and gathering easier and more joyful so that you can spend more time reconnecting to your your body your heritage your identity your community your chosen family then how do we make products that actually do that and so we leaned into our own experiences and you know i had grown up with two pots a round one and a flat one then I moved to the U.S. and I started learning how to cook. And I walked into a kitchenware store and I said, you know, I, I'm just moving into my first studio apartment. What do I need to cook? And it was a 16-piece cookware set. Oh well, this gosh. is, you know, your skillet for making your eggs. And this is your saucier <laughs> for making your sauce. And this is your stock pot for making your soup. And we started to think, well, can't we do most of this in one pan? Because the only difference, the main difference is sort of the dimensions, the curvature and so we literally took the Venn diagram of the eight most common pans and pots and, and at the intersection created the silhouette of the always oh. pan, which is shallow enough to fry an egg, but deep enough to fit a whole chicken. Um, we wanted to make it easy, so chose a nonstick ceramic coating, also non-toxic, you know, really lightweight. So if you're just starting to cook, you can't mess it up, right? Mm. You can fry an egg, you can boil some pasta, nothing's going to stick. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I just don't understand. Like nothing sticks. I actually burnt something in it the other day, and I was like, "And it's still not sticking." Well, don't burn it. <laughs> no, um, I, I mean I actually burnt some of the sauce, which was my fault. But um, I was like, "Oh my god, and it's still pulling away." <laughs> well, I'm 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 glad that that you love it, and I think the other part of it is the joy, right? And yeah. so people are like, "Well, it's so beautiful," and why is it so beautiful? For is it for Instagram? And I'm like, "No, it's for you. It's for joy, right?" Because cooking has been you know, like for my mother, for so many people, so oppressive mm. for so long. 
and it's not uncomplicated. And so can we create products that are so beautiful, you never want to put them away, you leave them on the stove, and when you're you know, at the end of a long day thinking, should I just order takeout again and you know, a soggy brown box, like, you know what, it's right here. I can, yeah. I can whip something up real quick. And we've taken that same philosophy of multifunctional, innovative, a sustainably and thoughtfully sourced, clean and beautiful and joyful, and then are applying it one category at a time to all of the ways in which you cook and gather. And do you have anything else coming up? So many beautiful products in the works. You know, we're always going to make a very streamlined assortment. Mm. We're never going to look like the kitchenware stores that you walk into today because you don't need most of those things. However, you know, we want to make sure that everything you do need or that we think can be made better, we create. And so we came out with, as gatherings and dinner parties started to come back, we came out with the perfect pot for those bigger, you know, dinner parties. Um, as our community started to get ready to cook, not just you know fried eggs and pasta, but to go into searing steak and salmon and you know lighting things on fire, we came out with a cast iron version of the always pan for more advanced techniques and also for an item that will truly last forever. Um, and then we're coming out with beautiful dinnerware, um, you know, stackable, simplified. You don't need 16 sizes. You need a handful of sizes. Everything nests. We just came out with oven with our ovenware set, and that was really yes. <laughs> that was really conceived as cookware for your oven because when most companies make ovenware, they make bakeware, yes. pies and and cupcakes and I love all of that but actually what you're mostly doing in your oven is cooking yeah so we created the oven pan which is really it goes from stovetop to oven it's it's a griddle on the stovetop but then it's you know the perfect roasting pan in the oven it comes with a great baking sheet that has these beautiful squares that are one inch size so you can use it to space things and measure things I'm already obsessed. I don't even know what it looks like, but I'm obsessed. (laughs) And these three ceramic dishes for sort of your casseroles and and your breads and your loaves and everything else. And so, again, just taking that same design philosophy, multifunctional, innovative, Mm. beautiful, clean, thoughtfully made, and making it easier to cook. I have to say, I um, I moved into this house uh, just over a year ago, and so for the first few months it was very much okay we need to find glasses we need to find cutlery the amount of um options out there is actually quite scary Mm -hmm. and i've realized um as a person don't show me 50 different things don't show me 50 different paint colors don't show me 50 different frames just show me three and then we can just choose and that's why i love it because I don't, you don't, you're absolutely right. You don't need 16 pots and pans yeah. in your home. Like it, that is just absolutely ridiculous. You're not running a restaurant here. Right. And um, are you going to use them all? Most certainly not. I, I know that for sure. And I'm happy to stand by that. Um, so this is just very up my street. So I'm super excited for your, your ovenware. I want to know what is your relationship with food like sort of on a day-to-day basis? I love food. I think about it all the time. Good, that's what we've been here. <laughs> um, a friend of mine said, "My life is just moments between meals," and oh, I was I like, love that. "I was like, mine too." Like I'm I already steal that. I'm already thinking about when I can uh, 
You know, we have the, these <laughs> this, these chocolate coated cornflakes here that you you so kindly put out, and you know I've been trying to sneak a bite without the the crunch sound <laughs> being captured by the microphone, and that's most of what my brain is occupied Always. with right now. Ninety percent the chocolate covered cornflakes. You're my kind of girl. Ten percent this conversation. You're more than welcome to eat. Them, I don't want to put you in pain. <laughs> and when you are cooking, now that you can cook, what are some of your specialities at home? You know, I, I love um, bread as a base for things because I grew up having roti or flatbread twice a day. And so finding, you know, bakeries that make delicious bread and sourcing it fresh and then, you know, topping it with something delicious, whether it's, you know, just whipping up some some delicious eggs and spicing mm. them with some herbs from my, my heritage um, or making something a little bit more complex, like a shakshuka. I am. Um, me, me too. Can be me made too. great in the um, in the old pan Agreed. as well. Great, absolutely. <laughs> and when you do find yourself out and about, where are some of your favorite restaurants to go to? Well, I'm so excited to be back in London and and reimmersing in the food scene here because I think it is so spectacular. Um, we just had a delicious meal at Giacconi, which is, um, you know, the, the owner and chef, uh, Ravinder describes, it described it as immigrant food and something rooted in nostalgia and tradition, but also something that's, um, unabashedly pushing the boundaries Mm -hmm. and blending and mixing and creating and innovating and so it's both nostalgic, but it's also surprising and unexpected. And that was an absolutely delicious meal. And when you're in LA, where do you like going? The food in LA is fantastic because we have so much produce. I spend a lot of time at farmer's markets. Mm-hmm. We have incredible farmer's markets. One of my favorites is a five-minute walk from my home. And my favorite thing to do is just go in and chat with the farmers and source my fruits and my vegetables and you know there's a lot of delicious prepared food that you can go home and heat up in your always pan or or just you know add a couple of things and it's ready to go um so i love going to farmers markets there is some amazing restaurants out there um a lot of immigrant owned restaurants diaspora restaurants um some of my favorites include a restaurant called kismet um restaurant called Justa, um, restaurant called Bavel. Um, I'm literally gonna I'm gonna have to give you when I come to LA next. I'm gonna have to give you a list. <laughs> You're we'll, gonna have we'll go, to. <laughs> well, you know, we'll have you over for dinner. Absolutely. First, and then we'll go out. Totally. Cannot wait. For second dinner. Uh, well, of course. Yeah. It'd be rude not to. No. Second dinner happens Correct. most days. And second <laughs> breakfast. So I finished my conversations with a few sort of very fun questions. She's desperate to eat this. I know, I keep picking it up. (laughs) (laughs) What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? I know this is rapid fire and I'm cheating, but I I feel like one person's every day is another person's out there. True. And so I don't know that I would classify anything I've ever eaten as as crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I was growing up, and I still do, I had a, a severe sweet tooth. And I would, do you know Tang? It's like the, it's like an orange drink. It's just powdered. 
It's just powdered sugar is it and fizzy? orange. Um, no, it's not. Is it like Gatorade? It, sort of, but okay. it, it comes in a powder form and you're supposed to dilute it with, you know, one tablespoon with 16 ounces of water. Okay. I had such a severe sweet tooth, I would just eat it straight no. out of, straight out of the bottle <laughs> and then be terrified that my parents would find out. Oh God. So. And that potentially your teeth may fall out, <laughs> but they're yeah. all still there and they're looking good. <laughs> what has been your most memorable meal? I think my most memorable meals are when I go home and, you know, there's just fresh roti and one of my favorite stews waiting for me, followed with, you know, my mother will always cut my fruit in a very precise way and nobody cuts my fruit for me anymore. Gosh, do you know what? You've just brought back a memory. There is something about fruit being cut by your mother. It's so luxurious. Oh my God. And then you just feel so loved. Sometimes I'll take uh, an apple. And I'll hand it to my husband and yeah. I'll say, please cut it for me. I feel loved. He's like, all right. Gosh, you know what? It really is the simple things in life. It really is. My favorite snack of all time is a packet of crisps, which mm. is, uh, for Americans, it's a potato chip. What is your favorite flavor of crisps and why? Sour cream. Okay. It changes. Are we talking like a Lay's sour cream? Or are yeah. we talking, Okay. Like a, and what about like a crinkle cut one? I, I do eat this particular brand in America that I really do like. I think Would if it's like crinkle, I think if it's crinkle cut, you've got to just go salt or maybe barbecue. Okay. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm really happy with the sour cream though. I like yeah. that. It's a little tangy. It's intense. Yeah, it's intense and we like intense. What food sums up happiness for you? Home cooked food made by someone who made it for me. Um, typically with just fresh, simple, thoughtfully sourced ingredients from farmers and places that really care. Final question. Live to eat or eat to live? Live to eat. Hey, she didn't, she didn't even pause for a breath. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is why we're all here, right? So there we go. Um, you are just the biggest inspiration. Thank you so much for joining me in my Thank home. Thank you. I feel the same way. Honestly, I mean, what... I feel like I've, I've made a friend in this You absolutely hour. have. And um, I wish you all the best. I think that, honestly, the future is very exciting for you so thank you so much for joining thank you and thank you for creating these conversations that spark connection and allow people to tell stories that bring us all closer thank you that's beautiful thank you until next time thank you for tuning in if you love what you hear please subscribe and review don't forget to follow me on instagram at crazy sexy food and check out the crazy sexy food youtube channel until next time bye